Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. A lady wrote in and she asked me, would you be willing to write about living with an immature husband and how to respond to him biblically? I need help. I would much appreciate it if you could give me some advice. Her question is not new to me. We have received this question many times over the years of this ministry. And the reason is, is that we're no longer a Christian society. There was a time when the Christian ethos was the zeitgeist. And it did not matter as much if you were a Christian because even the unregenerate culture had a clue of what it meant to be a man. But that day has passed. We have reared several generations now where boys grow up with no biblically male templates that show them what it means to be good husbands. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is I want to answer her question, and I trust that my answers will also be helpful to you too. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want to check out this resource on our website, just go over to lifeovercoffee.com. I've titled it, My Husband is Immature. How may I help him change? Now, you can read, you can watch, and you can listen to this if you wish. And please, please, please share our resources with other people. Don't be bashful. Don't be inhibited. Just copy the URL. You can go to the print button at the bottom of every one of our articles. You can print them off. You can use them in small group. You can use use it doing life over coffee with another friend. That would be fantastic. Before I get into this, I want to share part of a note that I received from David. David wrote in, and I'll just read the last line. He said, I got tired of old Biff. But unfortunately, he resonated too much with me, and so I couldn't I couldn't brush him off. David, thank you so much for this note here. I, I kind of laughed, and of course, it resonated with me as well. Appreciate you reading our content, and thank you also for your kind donation that you sent in uh, with your note. It's good to hear from our audience, from our community, and I'm so thankful that David wrote in. Feel free. You can write in anytime. We love handwritten letters. Of course, you can send an email, too. If you want to know our address, it's at the bottom. It's in the footer on every page of our website, so our address is easy to find. All right, so I want to talk about this. My husband is immature. How How may I help him change? By the way, uh, you can change this around to however you wish. I mean, it could be my wife is immature. It could be that I have a child who's immature. Either way, everything that I'm going to share with you will apply to the immature person in your life. But I am responding specifically to a lady who wrote in and asked about her husband. So let's talk about Biff and Mabel first. Sorry, David, but I need to talk about Biff and Mabel. Biff is immature, and he is insecure. If Mabel says anything related to him, their marriage, or his need to change, Biff takes it personally and usually sulks for days. Mabel doesn't believe that she can be candid with him because of his insecurity, which fuels his pity, his pity parties, and also his passive-aggressive responses. 
Mabel chooses guardedness over openness whenever she is around Biff. And rather than speaking honestly about what is going on in her life, Mabel reluctantly treats her husband like a child. She doesn't want to do this, but she is all too familiar with his infantile reactions when interacting with her concerns. Every word has to be measured. Every word has to be weighed before Mabel can share it. And so Mabel is left to care for her soul while gingerly caring for Biff. She's pulling double duty. It is as though Mabel has to grow him up before he can contribute to her sanctification appreciably. Now, she can mature in Christ without Biff. Any person can mature without other people to a degree. But there is a biblical presumption that husbands and wives cooperate in mutual sanctification, and Biff is not cooperating. And so Mabel is missing out on one of these beautiful means of grace that God provides us, and it would be an asset to her life and her marriage if they were reciprocally spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Now, she tries not to be self-righteous about their awkward interactions, but it's hard. Biff is a fragile, immature, insecure man, and Mabel wants to know how to move forward redemptively. And so I want to suggest seven considerations that anyone can apply to their life and their marriage. And again, whether it's the wife or the husband seeking guidance, I'm answering a question specifically from a wife about her husband, but you can turn this around to any mature person in your life. All seven of these things will be applicable in that situation. I trust it will benefit you in no particular order, except for maybe number one. And number one is, is Biff a Christian? And I want to spend a little more time with this one than the other six things that I'm going to share with you. One of the first things to consider is whether Biff is a Christian. I would not assume that he is a Christian just because he says he is a Christian. There are regions in America and there's regions in other parts of the world where Christian is just common speak and everybody wears it, even though we are not a Christian society any longer like what we were 50-something years ago, there can still be a Christianized culture. And if you ask someone if they are a Christian, these polls are taken all the time in America. Are you a Christian? And, and so many people would say yes, but I don't believe that to be true. N- not if we're talking about being born from above, being regenerated. It's not an uncharitable judgment of him. To, to question whether he is a Christian, it is a typical starting place when trying to understand why someone is not changing. I mean, if someone is stuck on immaturity, they're not moving forward in their sanctification, that is a logical question that you would have to ask, and you would ask it of yourself in, an unchar- in a charitable way, not an uncharitable way. And so is Biff a Christian? And so you want to carefully assess him while holding your assessments loosely because you could be wrong. Even your best assessments of someone will be subjective because we cannot know. We cannot know absolutely if someone is a believer. 
It is a reasonable assumption to think a person is a Christian if he attends a local church, hangs out with other Christians, speaks the Christian vocabulary. As you try to discern whether he is a child of God, here are three things that I trust will help you to make that charitable assessment of Biff, whoever that Biff may be in your life. Number one is growth. Is he growing? Now, I assume that you have known him for a while. And so if you could plot his spiritual growth on a chart, would you see a steady upward progression? I mean, obviously, it's going to go up and down, but the through line should be trending upward. Has he been changing? Has he been maturing over the past decade? Let's say that he has been changing. Well, if so, how would you answer these questions? Has his growth been because of his interaction with the Word of God and his interaction with the Spirit of God because he has been, or has he just been learning Christian behaviors? Is he changing at the heart level, the control center of his behaviors, or is he merely learning new ideas and best practices and valuable tips? And so as you think about his growth, there are two parts to that question. Is the trend line moving upward steadily, even though there are ups and downs as it moves upward? And then how do you define growth? Is it just things that he's learned that he is mimicking in an external way? Or is there true transformation at the level of his heart? Is he growing? You're trying to discern if he is born again. Number two is illumination. Does Biff get spiritual things? Does he have a depth of insight? Does he have discernment? I'm not asking if he is always right in his assessments about things because none of us are always right. But does he have spiritual insight? You see, the Spirit of God illuminates the Christian mind, which is how we are enabled to see and discern spiritual things. There is a difference between interacting with a spiritually dense person and a spiritually discerning person. By the way, this is one of the things that I look for when I'm discipling someone, counseling someone. Do they get what I'm saying? I mean, you know you know what I mean here because you talk to somebody that's got the Spirit of God operating in them. You can just see. You can see it in their eyes. They get what you are saying. I'm talking about biblical maturity here, regardless of their age. Is he regularly illuminated and directed by the Spirit of God? Assessment number three under the primary heading here, is Biff a Christian? Is Biff a Christian is point number one, and there's three subpoints under it. Is he growing? Is he uh, illuminated, experiencing illumination? And then number three, is he hungry? Does Biff thirst for God? Is God in his thoughts? Does he always gravitate toward the ways of the Lord? I mean, when you throw a compass down, it just points north. Is that his direction just automatically? Does Biff talk about what God is doing in his life? Is he learning things because he has thought about living in God's world? Is there a progression in his thoughts about God, about life, about others? 
I'm asking if he is always stuck on the same old thing, or is he maturing, progressively moving forward in his sanctification? Does he like to talk about God? Are his prayers fresh, evolving, and alive? A divining rod gravitates toward the water. What does Biff gravitate toward to satisfy himself? Is the spirit inside of him? If it is, there should be a compelling desire to gravitate toward the spirit toward spiritual things. And so would you describe his hunger for the things of God? I'm answering the question from a lady who asked, my husband is immature, how may I help him change? I'm giving her seven things to think about, and the first thing is, is Biff a Christian? And there are three things that will help you to assess that. One is, is he growing? The second one was, is he illuminated? And then the third the third one was, is he hungry for God? Now, let me give you a big caveat here. You're not looking for the perfection of these three things, growth, illumination, and hunger. You're not looking for the perfection of these things. You're looking for the presence of them. None of us have perfected our walk with God, and so we're not growing perfectly. We're not illuminated perfectly. We're not hungry in a perfect way. But there should be objective evidence that we have been born from above, and these three subcategories should help you to make your subjective assessment as you hold it loosely. Is he growing? Is he illuminated? Is he hungry for God? Is Biff a Christian? You're trying to help an immature man. All right, so number two of seven, is Biff in sin? There are only two reasons a person will not mature in Christ according to his God-given character, capacities, and competencies. Either he is not a Christian or he has sin in his life. If he is not a Christian, he is dead. He is futile in his thinking. He cannot go past go because he's not alive. There is no spirit in him. There is no growth. There is no illumination. There is no hunger, because it is the Spirit of God inside of us that empowers us. And so number two, is Biff in sin? Well, if he's not born again, he is fully captured by sin. He is dead in his trespasses. But if Biff is a believer... You've gone through the assessments that I have given you under number one, that there is growth, there is illumination, there is hunger. I believe he is a believer, but he is not growing. He is not changing. Well, then sin has captured him. A sin, some sin, because the Spirit of God will not cooperate with Biff to help him mature. He is quenching the Spirit. He is grieving the Spirit. God resists the proud. Typically with a man, the most common secret sin is lust of some sort in his life. There could be many other things, but this is a common one, and I'm just mentioning one to give you an idea. I think most women would be amazed to know how many men struggle this way. 
Do you know what Biff is looking at on the internet? Do you have access to his phone, to his passwords, to his portals where he can access shameful things? Now, I don't want to set off unnecessary alarms in your mind. I don't want to cause you to fret unnecessarily. But I don't want you to assume that everything is okay when dealing with a person like Biff. He is not growing. And I dealt with the possibility that he might not be born again. Now I'm dealing with the possibility that he is born again, but he's not growing Well, if he's not, then there is some sin in his life. Something is wrong, and you have to consider all the options. The simplest way to discern hidden sin is to ask him. And if you do ask him, how does he respond? His response will more than likely tell you what you need to know. It might not tell you specifically what he is into, but his response can tell you that he's into something And by his response, you will probably have your answer if he's defensive, angry, resistant, or if he seeks to avoid your inquiry. A person who is dominated by the gospel has nothing to fear, has nothing to hide, has nothing to run from. A humble man will respond humbly. If there is no secret sin, there is no reason for him to be uptight regarding your queries. Now, I am assuming that when you make these queries, that he knows that you are for him, you care for him, and you're in the habit of loving and respecting him. I'll get into this more later, but if there is not a context of affection for Biff and you're asking these questions, well, then there is a complicating issue in your life that, that will hinder really discerning what's going on in his life because he doesn't know that you're for him. He doesn't know that you care for him. You're not in the habit of loving and respecting him. Seven things that will help you to come alongside your immature husband to help him to change. One, you have to discern, is he a Christian? Number two, you have to determine if he is in sin. Number three, remember that Biff has limited authority over your life. Your husband does not have absolute authority over you. If he is sinning and you both can't work it out, then you need to find help. Not only are you to come alongside him to help him to mature, but maybe you need to get outside assistance to help him mature which is the point of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. It would not be love to let him stay in his sin. You can humbly appeal to Biff to seek help through your local church. If he is a Christian and he can't escape some lousy habit pattern, then he should be willing to get help. I mean, the Spirit of God is pleading with him, and then you come alongside him because he is born again. He wants you to help him because he is stuck. That is the heart of Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, come alongside him and give him help. And you should not be passive in trying to help him. But be careful here. Be careful. Each situation is different. If you can talk to Biff, it would be wise to speak to him. But if you can't talk to Biff, ask the father about the next steps that you should take. 
If you're in a sound local church, go to your pastor. Go over Biff's head to seek help. Do not walk this path alone. If you have no church, then ask the Father for one biblical relationship to come come beside you. So number three is, he has limited authority, and don't let a husband manipulate or gaslight you, saying that he has absolute authority over you, and you can't do anything without his permission. That is just untrue. Number four, always remember that you cannot change Biff. Ultimately, God grants the gift of repentance. Now, I'm sure that you know that you cannot force righteousness on anyone. All of us who have children, we know when they were seven years old, it's like, I want you to change. That's not how it works. We can't force people to change. And so point number four, you cannot change him. If Biff turns toward God, it will be because God has done a work in his heart. Now, the hard part for you is not knowing when or not knowing if that will ever happen. There's a possibility that he may never change. And if he does not change... There will be a need for significant work in your heart. The title of this is, My Husband is Immature, How May I Help Him Change? Well, I have to state the obvious here. I'm sharing things that will assist as you cooperate with God, as you get on God's restoration team to come alongside your husband But I have to say that he may never change. A clunky marriage may be your cross as you wait, pray, and seek to serve Biff, hoping that God will change him. Point number four, you can't change him. Number five, examine the log in your eye. Let me share what you already know. These are the words of Jesus. Why do you see the speck that is in Biff's eye? I'm paraphrasing. But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your husband Biff, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is this big Hummer log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and you will see clearly to take the speck out of Biff's eye. That is Matthew 7. No matter what you are dealing with regarding your husband, from your perspective and how you understand what Christ has done for you, it is imperative to know that there is no stratification of humans, for all have sinned. As we gather around Adam's tree and see Christ suspended from that tree, we know that we're all the same. We might not have done the same things, but we're totally depraved. We are the same. And I do not say these things lightly. I have dealt with a few disappointing people in my life. I've talked about it extensively throughout the the days of this ministry. An abusive husband, two murdered brothers, an unfaithful wife. The most effective means of grace in guarding my heart against bitterness and other forms of anger has been discerning this fundamental truth, my sin, against Christ was worse than anything that has ever been done to me. If you understand and apply this truth correctly, 
then you'll be able to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. If there is a temptation to look down on Biff because of what he has done wrong, done wrong to you, then your heart will take you to a bad place. Seven things to consider when helping an immature husband. We're at point number five. Examine your log. Ken Sandy uh, thought about these things, and this is what he said. Every conflict that comes into our lives has somehow been ordained by God. Knowing that He has personally tailored the events of our lives and is looking out for us at every moment should dramatically affect the way we respond to conflict. That's Ken Sandy. Your attitude about someone will be your first clue as to your thoughts regarding that person, and that will determine your actions toward them. Point number five, examine your log. Number six, model the Savior. Whatever it is that you want Biff to be, you must become a representative of that for him. It would be disingenuous ingenuous to insist that Biff be mature when you are not. Your modeling of Christ must always precede your teaching about Christ. Be careful about telling Biff how to behave when you're not acting according to your own instruction. I'm not judging you. It's just giving a a charitable admonition here. We would be shooting ourselves in the foot if we are not doing the things that we're asking others to do. Do you want Biff to be humble? Then show him your humility. Do you want Biff to be honest with you? Be honest with Biff as much as possible while discerning his ability to steward what you want to say. There is a caveat there. You want to be honest with him, but then a fool reveals their their whole mind. A fool does not have self-control, does not understand discretion. And so your, your, your tendency is to be honest, but you're also making sure that he can steward whatever it is that you want to say. So be honest with him if you want him to be honest. Do you want Biff to encourage you? Then you encourage Biff. This is point number six. Model the Savior. Be the thing that you want your husband to become. And then finally, number seven, lead your husband. Think about, I want to share uh, Philippians 2 with you, at least part of it, and you're familiar with it. This is what Paul wrote in chapter 2. Though he, Christ, was in the form of God... He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. One of the most profound demonstrations and motivating examples of the gospel in a marriage is when a spouse sets aside their desires for the greater good of the other person. Isn't that what the Savior did for us as Paul has articulated for us? Jesus set aside the life that he enjoyed with the Father to come to earth to help us become what we couldn't be on our own. His example is our call 
which Peter talked about, by the way, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We are to emulate this setting aside for the redemptive good or of others. It is easy for a wife to lose a gospel focus and application in her marriage. Instead of working toward maturing the marriage through Christ-mirrored humility, she can lower herself to anger by making demands. Of course, it's even more challenging when her desires are not evil. One of the hardest things for, for us to emulate about Christ. His desires were not evil, but yet he was running into roadblock after roadblock, hostility after hostility, rejection after rejection. And that is where I can become so tripped up. The thing that I want you to do is a good thing. It is for your good. It's our good. It will spread the fame of Christ. And sometimes our good desires will trip us up quick, more quickly than, say, selfish desires that we have. The call is obvious. It's a call to die to ourselves, and it is impossibly hard without the empowering favor of God. I've titled this, My Husband is Immature. How may I help him change? I have laid out seven ideas for your consideration, and as you have heard throughout, there are questions that I'm challenging you, but they're necessary questions. And so here's my call to action. Will you work through the questions that I have asked you? They come with a prayer for God's soothing mercy to caress your soul as you take your soul to task. You're in the most demanding spot, and I'm sad for you. I'm sad for your husband. And, and with all hard places come difficult questions. And so I trust that you could receive those uh, in the spirit in which they are intended. And then I want to wrap up with a few more truth-directed questions in the same spirit of love. Question number one, Jesus set aside his desires for the greater good of you and me. In what ways can you model the example of Christ in your marriage? Would you take some time to, to prayerfully uh, reflect on how you can model setting aside your desires for the greater good of your marriage? And maybe this would be a good conversation to have uh, if this is a wife with a Titus II lady who has the courage to speak into your life courage that she won't rubber stamp you, has the compassion that she won't be unkind to you or unkind to Biff. And so spend some time reflecting on how you can model the example of Christ, specifically setting aside a good desire so that you can work redemptively in the marriage. Number two, do you know how to serve your husband this way? Do you want to do this for him? Maybe we need to back up and ask these two important questions. I don't know how to set aside, or maybe even more important question, I don't wanna do this for him. Well, if you don't, then I would go back to point number five, which was examining the log that we, we have to address, the log in our eye, before we go spec fishing in someone else's eye socket. Number three, what needs to change in you to cooperate more practically with the Lord in the sanctification of your immature husband? And then finally, number four, will you seek help 
from the body of Christ, and I don't know what that means for you. I am also aware not only are many husbands immature, this is a common question that we receive at lifeovercoffee.com, but also, there are many churches that are not shepherding their people well, and we receive that complaint too. There are many that are doing it fabulously well, and there are husbands that are just doing a fantastic job. But I live on the darker side of Christianity, and so I hear more of the negativity, and that's why I'm so aware of what is going on. Uh, within Christianity on the top side and the bottom side. And when you get on the bottom side, I know that there are many churches that aren't shepherding well. But will you seek help in whatever way that means within the body of Christ, whether it's inside of your local church or outside? There are many wives who, who do not have husbands who lead well. And God is calling them to do one of the hardest things that they could do. Submit to someone who does not want to care for them biblically. It is a painful place to be. The best you can do is model what I have outlined here. If you do, albeit imperfectly, you will not do it well. None of us can. But I promise you that you will experience persevering grace from the Lord because he provides that grace, that mercy for the humble. It's your best action in an unchangeable situation, to consider and ask the Spirit of God to empower you to do some of the things that I have suggested here. My husband is immature. How may I help him change? You can read, you can watch, you can listen to this at lifeovercoffee.com. If you can't find it, just hit the search feature, some version of that title, and it will pop up for you. And then please share it with a friend and have a discussion. For those of you who want more, did you know that we have a course, No More Fear? It is a course to help people overcome the controlling opinions of others. It's all online, 100%. You can do it in the coffee shop. You can do it at home if you have access to the Internet. Go to our courses at lifeovercoffee.com. Look for No More Fear, and you'll have this self-contained, wonderfully packaged um, course, a 30-page workbook, and you can go through it at your own pace. Thanks so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.